In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. The reading today continues our study of the letter of James, which we have been looking at over the past couple of weeks. As we have heard, the writer James is held to be the brother of Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem Council. And his letter is a very early letter, writing to the earliest Christian churches to encourage and instruct them in the right ways to act as people of the risen Christ. Genuine faith must be accompanied by a consistent lifestyle based on the life and teachings of Jesus. The message for today brings up the problem of Christian snobbery. Now, I think those are two words that definitely do not belong together. A snob is defined in the dictionary as someone who admires and seeks to imitate those of superior social position or wealth and looks down on those they consider as inferior. That is completely against all that Jesus taught and did. In today's reading, James is addressing the problem that seems to be occurring in the faith communities of people showing favouritism, of paying attention to someone who comes into the community looking as though they are rich and important and casting aside someone who seems to be poor. He says, Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom? But you have dishonoured the poor. Jesus called people to love their neighbours as themselves and to show no partiality. God has always had a heart for the poor and downtrodden. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost, bring back the strayed, bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Jesus himself, the good shepherd, came to show us the ways of God and the nature of God in all he taught and said and did. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, was not born in a beautiful palace surrounded by wealth as befitting his godly status, but in a stable for animals, sleeping in an animal's feeding trough. Lowly shepherds were the first ones to hear the message of his birth. When he was in the womb, his mother Mary sang the beautiful song we have come to know as the Magnificat. In part, the Lord has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in their conceit, casting down the mighty from their thrones and lifting up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. We might envisage Mary singing that song to Jesus as he grew in her womb. It would have been in his heart always. Jesus would never have been considered a snob, absolutely the opposite. He had a heart for all people and particularly for the poor and downtrodden and overlooked ones. Throughout his life, Jesus taught of God's heart for the poor and called his disciples to live lives of humility and servanthood, thinking of others before self. When James and John wanted places of honour at Jesus' side and talked about who among the disciples was the greatest, they were firmly put in their place. In the story in Matthew 20, Jesus says to them, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Galatians 3.26-29 tells us, There is no class distinction for Christians. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. We are all one in Christ. Through our baptisms, we are all children of God, brothers and sisters of Christ, heirs of the kingdom. And there is not to be sibling rivalry or one-upmanship among us. Romans 12 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So what do we take from this teaching for us as the Christian community of this time and place? When we meet together, how do we greet one another? How do we greet and welcome those who are new among us? I think we do very well here at St Andrews in welcoming and gathering all who come through our doors. But I know people who visited congregations in other places who have not felt welcomed at all, not even spoken to. So this reading from James is a reminder for us. It is natural to want to speak to our friends in the congregation, but we need to be mindful of new people who come to join us to ensure we welcome and speak to them. And if we become aware of someone we think of as a VIP who has just arrived, to be mindful we don't bypass someone else in our hurry to get to them, overlooking someone we may think less important. That's making judgments with our Lord teaches us not to do. Sometimes people who come to be with us might look different or even act a bit differently. They might have come for all sorts of reasons. It's important to speak to them, to make them feel welcome, to introduce them to others. We need to be mindful of our thoughts and our actions and to avoid any perception of being an inside clique. When we are out and about in our daily lives, where is our attention focused? Where do our eyes look? Who do we see or not see? Are we too attracted by the bright and beautiful, the rich and famous? Who might we walk past in the street? The homeless person, the one we think beneath our station, the poor and outcast and lonely. Are we too otherwise focused to stop and befriend or help? Do we think it's all too hard and hope someone else will come along and take the necessary action instead? Let us remember where God's heart lies, where Jesus' focus would be. Let us be aware of our thoughts and actions wherever we are. I like to keep in mind the passage in Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 2. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Those whom we might bypass or overlook or not even see might just be the very ones God is putting before us for mutual and untold blessing. Amen. I'm now going to invite Fiona to come to speak further on today's message for us. Thank you, Fiona. Um, we'll just delve a little bit more into this passage from James. All of us like some people or groups better than others. That's perfectly normal. Everyone here can probably think of someone, the grumpy family member who always picks a fight at family gatherings, the salespeople who call just as we're about to sit down for a meal, 
or the person up for a good chat on the bus or the train, or worse, a long-haul plane flight. My mum tells a story from years ago about getting back to her car one evening to find that she had been parked in. As she stood wondering what to do, she heard the sound of multiple motorbikes and sure enough, within moments, a bikey gang appeared. Are you parked in, love? They shouted as they dismounted their bikes. They were thoroughly intimidating in their leather kit with their tattoos and their big beards and all. Uh-oh, thought my mum. But the bikies proceeded to position themselves at each corner of her car and with a mighty heave, they lifted it up, shuffled to one side and carefully placed it down again in the middle of the street, ready to drive away. There you go, love, they said, got back on their bikes and rode away. Mum was hugely appreciative of their help that evening and dismissed her reservations about bikies from then on. We can have a chuckle about it, but it's so true, isn't it? We all have people we would prefer to be around, and so often they're a lot like us. We all tend to stereotype people, and this can be positive or negative. We may be biased without even knowing it, and that's especially likely if most of the people we spend time with are pretty much just like us. Our attitudes and actions become reinforced and are seen as positive and good and normal. It doesn't occur to us to start questioning these attitudes and behaviours. How we live and act and how we treat other people begins first in our mind, in our feelings, in deep-seated attitudes that we may not even be fully aware that we have. And through all this, we may have created for ourselves a world of attitudes and actions that is far from God, that dishonours God, and that may cause others to reject Christ because they know we are Christians, but they see what we may not, how unchristian we can be. Bev has already mentioned that Christian snobbery is not right that as we look to Jesus, we see a heart for the poor, the downtrodden and the overlooked. We all know what a snob is, someone who likes to be seen with people of higher social standing and who looks down on those they consider inferior. And snobbery is the character and quality of being a snob. The phrase Christian snobbery just doesn't sit well, does it? How does Christian faith go with this behaviour? The simple answer is, it doesn't. Genuine faith in God and favouritism are incompatible. They just don't go together. In this passage, James powerfully addresses the sin of favouritism or partiality, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading. James addresses his readers as brothers and sisters in the first verse, reminding them that the problem he is about to discuss is a matter for the church family. He is ready to point out something that needs to be changed in their lives. He goes on to describe them as believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. As believers, don't show favouritism, he says. James may be choosing to challenge how genuine we are in our belief here. If we truly believe in our glorious Lord, we would not show favouritism. Can we really call ourselves Christians if we favour one over another? 
Or maybe James is encouraging us to show our faith in the way that we treat people, fairly and without favour. Either way, James is unequivocal. Favouritism among Christians is a sin. What James is telling us here is not to profess faith in Christ and at the same time be a spiritual snob. Showing partiality to one person or another divides the community, both within and outside the church. Every believer in the church is a part of the body of Christ. Those God has deemed worthy to receive, we should be very careful about avoiding. James writes about one of the most common examples of favouritism, giving a rich person prominence and preference over a poor person because it is so prevalent and universal. There is nothing wrong with extending a warm welcome to a rich visitor. The sin is in treating the poor visitor differently. In verse 4, James challenges his readers, "'Have you not discriminated among yourselves?' and become judges with evil thoughts. James' question here calls out Christian snobs. If a judge in a court of law was influenced by the clothing of the defendant, would they not be violating justice? For a Christian to accept or reject someone on the basis of their outward appearance is no less wrong. Although the characters in this story exist only as an illustration, Scenes like this no doubt took place in James's time, and sadly, more than likely, they still do. I wonder if anyone here has observed people in church wearing smart clothes and elegant jewellery and others wearing well-worn clothing, perhaps without shoes. Were they welcomed the same way? Where were they encouraged to sit? Were they introduced to members of the congregation differently? What expectations were there about their contribution when the offertory came round? There are many other ways we could see Christian snobbery on display in churches today. We can favour people within the church based on their gifts and abilities. Who is most important, the preacher or the tech team? The LA or the kids' ministry leader? The welcomer or the person looking after hospitality? The truth is, of course, that none are better than the other. They are just utilising different gifts. I've seen cliques in a church where friends gathered after the service for a cuppa while a new arrival was left sitting alone. I wonder how likely that person would be to return to church after that experience. In that way, our preference for associating with some over others can push people away from Christ. I've also seen the reaction of a church community after a gay couple sought to have their children baptised. The issue of same-sex relationships is very complex with a wide range of views held by faithful Christians and churches across the globe. Whether they supported same-sex relationships or not, the majority of the church welcomed this family warmly as sisters in Christ and human beings made in God's image. If this family is worthy of the love of God, then who are we, the body of Christ, to say otherwise? The Lord is absolutely crystal clear that we are to love others. When we show favouritism, we become judges with evil motives. Jesus said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
in making judgments about people on the basis of factors such as economic status, ethnicity or faith, for example, we are not acting in love. What we are doing is dethroning Jesus Christ from the position of preeminence that he alone is entitled to. In verses 5 through 7, James suggests that in showing favouritism, we display secular values by despising those God has honoured and honouring those most capable of and likely to oppress us. James says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? In verses 6 and 7, he continues, You have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? God cares about the poor. God has always cared about the poor. Jesus himself was a poor man. What might not be clear from our relatively comfortable position here in the 21st century is that the people to whom, whom James was writing were most likely poor themselves. James is reminding them of their own experiences at the hands of the wealthy. Are they not the ones exploiting you? Isn't it them dragging you into court? By discriminating between the rich man and the poor man, James's readers are not only perpetuating the social structures of the time, they are allowing those social attitudes to impose upon the moral values of the church. We run the same risk today. Success in our modern society is so often defined in terms of wealth, power, position and education. But is that how Jesus saw it? No. He turned the social norms of his time and ours on their heads by valuing the meek, the humble, the poor and downtrodden, those on the fringes of society. James is warning us as much as he was warning his first century audience. Instead of following the world's value system, we must align our values with those of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. By favouring the rich and powerful, we are dishonouring Christ. In verses 8 to 11, James now reminds us of the royal law that goes back to Leviticus. Love your neighbour as yourself. This is one of the most fundamental laws that God has ever given. In Romans and again in Galatians, Paul points out that the entire law is summed up in this single command. James also emphasises that in breaking this law, we are breaking all the law. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it, he says. God's law was given by God. Therefore, even the smallest sin involves an offence against God because it implies a rejection of his whole authority over every part of our lives. Finally, in verses 12 and 13, James reminds us that we will be judged and gives a threefold reason for our need to live consistently. 
First, he tells us that we will be judged by our words. Our words can have a profound impact on those around us. Even the simplest statements can convey powerful messages. Statements like, great work, or I am proud of you, can be life-changing words of encouragement. Secondly, he tells us that we will be judged by our deeds. James has clearly shown throughout this passage that favouritism is a sin. If we discriminate, we will be judged. Third and finally, he tells us that we will be judged by our attitudes, for we have either shown mercy or we have not. Christian snobbery has dire consequences. It can tear apart the body of Christ and damage our witness to the world. And we haven't even considered the hurt and pain it can cause for the people or groups discriminated against, whether they are within the church or outside. One of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. We all have the power to make a choice to reject favouritism. Instead, we can choose to encourage others. Every one of us can be someone who puts an arm over someone else's shoulder and makes a lasting difference in their lives. Something we can all do is consider who outside our present circle of friends could we attempt to include in our lives, someone who isn't so much like us, perhaps. What we do in this life, especially how we treat people, has effects that we cannot see. Through our words, deeds and attitudes, we can grow God's kingdom within our church families or pull it apart. We can lift people up or cut them down. We can show Christ-like love and grace that will lead others to Jesus, or we can turn them away by calling ourselves Christian while our attitudes and actions speak differently. The choices we make now in how we relate to people also have eternal significance. Whether our choices are good or bad, we will face judgment. By doing as Paul suggests in 2 Corinthians and taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, we will start living more intentionally. We will start living more Christ-like lives. We will start becoming more like Christ himself. Jesus calls us to treat strangers like our friends, to love them and care for them just as he loves us and just as we love ourselves. That's what deep friendship is all about. This begins right here among our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it extends to every human being we encounter. Remember, strangers are just friends we haven't met yet. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the diversity, acceptance and love within our church here at St Andrews and the strong relationships evident here. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, all churches, ours included, will make the choice to live in line with your values, that we might think, speak and act in ways that draw people towards you rather than push them away and that we might genuinely love our neighbours as ourselves while loving you above all else. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.